I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. My friends, surely some very surprising words from our Lord in today's gospel. Truly a thought-provoking narrative. Maybe one that even has us uh, scratching our heads, if you will, wondering about our Lord's pastoral sensitivity, perhaps wondering even if he is contradicting scripture. For we heard in today's first reading from Isaiah that speaks of foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, in other words, non-Jews, and that my house, God's house, shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The psalmist sang out, O God, let all the nations praise you. And finally, of course, in that second reading from Romans, Paul, speaking out to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. My friends, we know that our Lord cannot, of course, contradict scripture. And so what is going on here? Let's examine the gospel more closely. First, it's very important for us to recognize something perhaps that we already know, that this was not an accidental encounter. No, it was a providential moment in the life of this woman and her daughter, a moment of grace. The Canaanite woman, she withdrew from her own territory. Jesus, too, withdraws from his. Matthew often did alternate stories. He would often tell these stories in the life of Jesus and alternate them. One, beginning with the conflict, some sort of rejection of the Lord, encountering that with stories of incredible faith, stories of humble confidence and complete trust. Jesus had just, right before this scene, had just been criticized by the religious leaders, by the Pharisees and scribes, and he withdraws. He withdraws and heads north, heads north to the pagan region of Tyre and Sidon that is, a, is well, part of present-day southern Lebanon. It is important to note that the Canaanites were non-Jews, of course. They were, in fact, ancestral enemies of the Jews. The Old Testament is filled with much conflict between the Jewish people and the Canaanites, yet she knew of Jesus. She called out to him, Lord, son of David. She knew that he could expel the demon from her daughter. Jesus' reputation had preceded him to this northern coastal town. She had certainly heard of the promise of the Messiah and her desire for mercy and salvation drove her. Her pain, her pain drove her to seek the Lord, to, to leave that slavery of pagan idolatry behind and to seek the loving arms of mercy itself. And she does encounter Jesus. She encounters him, she runs and she calls out to him. She screams out continuously. She begs Jesus, have pity on me, have pity on me on me. Her daughter's distress had become her own distress. Her sacrificial self-identification with her daughter's suffering surely had an effect on our Lord. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. So surprising. Despite all her screaming, Jesus responds to her with silence. 
You know, my friends, God's silence can be very mysterious at times, can it not? It's a trying aspect in the lives of people of faith. What is the meaning of his silence? Should she perhaps have addressed our Lord differently? Maybe she shouted too loudly or perhaps not loudly enough. Maybe she could have used different words. I don't know. Maybe the incarnate Lord, she is thinking, had concerns too deep, too universal for her. Why would he trouble over one mother's private anxiety over her child? Was the mess messianic healing, after all, an exclusively Jewish sort of thing? Too bad for her, this pagan, this Canaanite woman with no rights before the Lord, the God of Israel. My friends, to be sure, that is not, that is not the message of today's gospel. Surely Jesus' silence had a purpose. In fact, his silence had an authority all its own. Surely to allow her to demonstrate her perseverance, no doubt, to awaken that faith within her heart. God's silence is, my friends, one of the choicest works of his grave grace in our lives. The Canaanite woman had to simply endure the silence like we do until she could no longer take it. She couldn't take it anymore, and so she resumed her pleading, running after Jesus, pleading to the disciples, causing the disciples to plead on her behalf to the Lord. Finally, Jesus breaks his own silence, and he comments to the disciples. For this encounter was also intended to be a teaching moment for them. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, perhaps not the response we were expecting. Yes, Jesus was sent to the Jews. He became incarnate in a particular Jewish family. But the Israelites were to be a blessing, to be a blessing to all nations. They were to be a light. The church's mission is to go out to all nations. But Jesus could not help himself. While he was sent to the Jews, we see many examples in scripture of the centurion, the Samaritan woman at the well, this own gospel. Jesus thirsts for us, and he goes out. But he's also a beautiful magnet. So attracting to others, people of all faith are attracted to Jesus. Jews were the chosen people. They received the promise of, of our Lord's blessing. But the Jews first, than everybody else, all the nations. Jesus turns the disciples down. He seemingly rejects this woman's plea. Surely he had a plan. Perhaps he was inviting them to minister to her, to minister to her daughter. The woman would not give up easily. She would not be denied. She came to Jesus. She comes to him and bows down and does him homage. Mark's gospel says that she came and fell down at his feet. She continues to knock on the door of Jesus's heart, but now she changes tactics. She no longer screams out. She's not screaming at him. Now she quietly and humbly prostrates herself before him and calmly says, Lord, help me. A more intimate request in humble confidence, an appeal to him solely because she is certain. She is certain he can do what she urgently needs him to do. She totally surrenders to him. She abandons herself 
before him, prostrating her at his feet, an act of quiet adoration, a plea that came literally from the depths of her heart in faith. But again, Christ's response to her prostration is surprising. His invitation, his teaching moment was not over. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Shocking really for us to hear these words come from our Lord's mouth, even difficult for me to say them. Of course, we know that the Lord was not being uncharitable here. His response surely has a loving purpose. He already knew, in fact, what her response would be. He already knew what he had from the beginning of time planned to do for her and her daughter. And note, the woman does not seem even to be phased at all by Jesus's response. Unfazed by the fact that he seems to be calling her, seems to be calling her daughter, her beloved daughter, dogs. Or if it helps you, perhaps it's easier for us to hear. Uh, it's better translated perhaps as little dogs or puppies. But still in contrast to what he's calling the Israelites, who alone are seen as God's children. But it is at precisely this point, precisely at this point in this encounter with God of love and mercy, which she logically should have felt like the depths of rejection, that the most extraordinary thing happens. Rather with, than withdraw like the disciples seem to have done, or, or perhaps argue with him as the Pharisees and scribes often did, this brave and resourceful, surely faith-filled woman does something incredibly surprising. She agrees with Jesus. Even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. A beautiful and clever response. Even the dogs, even these little puppies are fed and satisfied. The Gentiles, yes, in addition to the Jews, are fed by God's infinite grace. Yes, Lord, your statement of priorities is correct. The Jews were called first, and I acknowledge their special rights and privileges of Israel. Yet precisely on the terms of your words, your parable, I do have hope. Sooner or later, crumbs, crumbs will fall from the table to the floor, to the floor to be snatched up by the dogs. And frankly, that is all I need. A little morsel of your grace, and so I have hope. After all, a couple weeks ago, a couple Sundays ago, were we not speaking about the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, where our Lord had the disciples gather up 12 basketfuls of the fragments, these crumbs that fell to the floor. While Jesus cannot be swayed by any claims or merit of this grace, he is overcome by the prayer of faith. This prayer of faith expressed with humility, expressed with humble confidence. My friends, we oftentimes have more confidence in Tylenol, perhaps more confidence in a future vaccine. We take a few pills, we hope to get a shot someday, and we have confidence that it will heal us. But we're called to have even more confidence in the Lord, more confidence in his word, more confidence in his sacraments, in his love and mercy, confidence in his love and mercy through faith. 
And when we do have deep faith, a gift of faith that transforms us, it influences everything we do in our lives, and our lives begin to bear much fruit. Of course, there will still be suffering. In fact, we see that in the life of this Canaanite woman. She suffered greatly, but that suffering led to an incredible grace for her and her daughter. And so we have humble confidence, humble confidence in the movement of God's grace in our lives, and we are at peace. At peace, even if our lives do seem to be a hot mess at times. Faith can be crippled by fear. We know this when we fail to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But the Lord is calling us to be bold, to be bold, to move forward in faith. The Lord is calling us to prostrate ourselves before him here in this Holy Mass. And we do have a great opportunity for God is here and may God be praised in our response to this inf infinite grace he's offering to us here in this Holy Mass. Amen.